What up all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 241 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Troy Ozuna from Earth Story 2030. Troy has a YouTube channel, and I was introduced to Troy's YouTube channel through a good friend, Wallace. Thank you, Wallace, for that introduction because this story is awesome, and I think you are going to get a lot out of it. Troy is in Europe right now. He has just produced a documentary in Ukraine, which I'm super excited to see because Troy found something in Ukraine that gave him hope. And that was a unique thing to hear him say. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I highly recommend you listen all the way till the end because Troy has some zingers of wisdom through his experience in Ukraine and just through his life experience and his life story, I think is very relatable. And many of you will get a lot out of it, just like I did. Please remember, if you're a first-time listener, to hit that subscribe button. If you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that in one of two ways. You can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop, pick up a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt, or you can head over to patreon.com and give a monthly donation. It's a monetary amount of your desire. You can give one donation and then cancel your subscription. That's fine too, but it usually is a reoccurring thing. And some people donate $1, some people donate 5 25 as much as you feel comfortable with. It is very appreciated. Helps me produce this podcast and continue to grow and mature as a podcaster in the years to come. So like I said, please stay tuned to the very end because his summary is poetic. It is beautiful. It is something that I think a lot of people can connect with. So it's definitely worthwhile sticking around to the very end. And with that said... Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Troy Ozuna from Earth Story 2030. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. Right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today we are joined by Troy Ozuna from Earth Story 2030. Troy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Chapin. Where are you calling in from right now? I am in Prague. We're taking uh, me and my two friends are taking the rest day after a week cycling from Berlin uh, to the Czech Republic. Yeah, that's cool. We kind of connected on that pre-show a little bit with my father and I did the inverse of that. We went from Prague to Dresden. And was that a trip that you had planned or was it a spontaneous little adventure you just jumped on with your friends? <laughs> yeah, I, I know they, uh, my friends saw me do my last cycling trip, which was also spontaneous. I was already in Europe uh, and decided to buy a bicycle and go from Madrid to Rome in the fall. And they thought that was really cool and said they wanted to come along. So I think we had planned uh, to do this cycling trip from Berlin to Romania for uh, to make it to a wedding at the end of August. Oh, cool. Very cool. Um, well, Troy, you know, I found you on YouTube and loved your story and loved kind of how you got started. You got started, what, like about five years ago with Earth Story? Yeah, yeah, five years. Yep, five years of uh, relatively consistent, and I have a lot of inconsistent uh, video posting. Uh, but yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of videos in between that as well. And you're from Vegas originally, and and you and you have a background in like videography. Is that kind of what I understand? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, raised in Vegas from age seven to twenty-four, and have been doing videography for I don't know, like thirteen, fourteen years. Nice, dude. Yeah, you sound just through your videos like obviously you're a real searcher and somebody who's willing to go out and try and try to understand the world, try to understand yourself a lot better. Um, with the decision to go out and obviously film yourself doing this. Um, in one of your videos, you talked about selling everything. Do you mind just sharing like what, when you left with uh, your original idea, like what kind of financial situation were you in with after selling everything? Like what kind of buffer did you have to, and how long did you think you're gonna be able to go with the idea that you had with this YouTube channel? Yeah, I thought the uh, the YouTube channel would take off and be financially uh, feasible within like six months, which definitely did not happen. Uh, I sold a, a car, television, some other things, and left with about twelve thousand dollars plus a van, and that twelve thousand evaporated pretty quickly. Uh, it was a nineteen eighty five van, so a bit of a naive decision uh, to take such an old vehicle out into the world, but it was an extremely growing experience. And I think uh, losing most of that money to repairs and a couple other unwise decisions uh, was really necessary for uh, just understanding that, hey, like, you know, you've at least since turning 17 or 18 have always had a really solid job where you could like get anything you want and would always have a lot of money in the bank. And I needed that time of like being very financially unstable, but still having faith in the process, having faith in myself that everything would be okay. And I've sort of operated from from that same mentality ever since. I guess I was raised very uh, financially uh, conservative and responsible, you know, always have at least 10 grand in the bank for a rainy day. And um, yeah, the past five years have just been completely the opposite of that. Uh, spending everything I possibly can on an adventure or a particular project and just having faith that whenever I get back home or whenever uh, the project concludes, I'll be able to pick up a freelance client or find some way to pay off massive amounts of debt, (laughs) which is I don't recommend for everybody. So, okay, this is where this gets really interesting to me because I've traveled in the same way on on a shoestring budget. And yes, my my money did run out and I had to come back to the States to replenish um, with the odd times where I was able to sustain myself in other countries. So is that kind of what you've been doing where you say, when you say freelance client and you're a videographer, what does that mean? Like how do you, how do you replenish the well? Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of like freelancer platforms out there, but I'm basically looking for commercial or videography clients. I was doing weddings for a while. Uh, did a couple commercials, uh, some like corporate videos, just whatever pays the bills, pays off the credit card, uh, as fast as possible to get back out into the world and, uh, yeah, keep the adventures rolling. Yeah, I can feel that. And then ultimately with your YouTube channel right now, it's at like 40,000 subscribers. Does that make you any money after the last five years or is that still not making much? No. No, not really. That that doesn't make much at all. Wow. So you still just grind it out. You you save a bunch, you do a project, and that keeps you on the road for a period of time, then you do it all over again? Yeah. So I'm trying to um, – I mean, so I guess it's not like the most glamorous story as far as like social media uh, video YouTuber goes, um, but it's been working the past five years. You know, I'll like stop 
for a month or maybe like two months and um, pick up a few clients and then I can live for the rest of the year off of that. And I mean, I, I saw the biggest growth in YouTube when I was posting consistently, like once per week or once every two weeks. Um, but these days it's been really nice to just like take YouTube, take Earth Story, the series at the pace that feels really natural, that doesn't burn me out. And then also be able to focus on other projects like I've uh, done like some sword performance stuff for uh, for like narrative film or um, yeah, like film a commercial. Uh, I just finished uh, filming a full length documentary in Ukraine that um, is going to be going to some other platforms. So uh, I think in the beginning, I was like really set on becoming a YouTuber. And these days, it's a lot easier to uh, to just go with the flow and uh, see what projects make sense where and uh, not have to kill myself for not uh, hitting 100,000 subscribers in the first year. It's such an interesting aspect of, I don't want to say your generation, but a generation of people who grew up on YouTube and influencers and um, really aspiring to become one as well. I mean, I'm a 42-year-old man, and I didn't know until these platforms came out that I actually secretly also had that desire to a certain extent to do, to <laughs> yeah, do good with my message. Uh, but I like yeah. your story, Troy, because it's realistic. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people, and a lot of people kind of gloss over you know, the hard times and the reality of, of how they're making it work and how they're connecting the dots. So thank you for being so transparent. And one of your videos you did talk about, you kind of at times are living off about 10K a year. Is that realistic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was for about uh, I think one year it was like eight thousand, ten thousand, and like fifteen thousand. Uh, and then recently, I mean, work's been been like picking up a lot, so I'm able to like earn I don't know like between thirty to fifty k working like just a few months, um, and then use that to like fund you know bigger projects, uh, hire people for for documentary stuff. Um. But yeah, yeah. So I was living off of ten thousand a year um, for a couple of years. Nice man. So now let's get more into kind of your ethos and you know Earth story and what that means to you because you're out there, you're connecting with individuals, with cultures, with new places, and throughout your series, you kind of talk about it being not in not what you expected in a lot of ways, but also way more powerful than you would have ever expected. And recently you were in Ukraine filming this documentary. Uh, how did, how did that come about? How did, how did you get into Ukraine number one and how did, were you a part of a, a documentary crew or were you actually the person spearheading the project? Yeah, I was originally going to go out there solo. Um, I didn't really know anybody. I had initial contacts on the ground, uh, just from one organization that would get me into the country. But I mean, you can get into Ukraine on your own. Um, I think you can just say that like, Hey, I'm here to serve as a humanitarian volunteer. Uh, and you can like totally go solo. But, uh, for the documentary, yeah, I was spearheading it. I had, um, a creative partner or like a, at least a sound guy slash, uh, second camera person that I was talking to for a few months and was making preparations for to uh, shoot this project together. And once I was in Ukraine, uh, this gentleman just ghosted me <laughs> saying, uh, I didn't even say anything. He was, he was supposed to, uh, 
bring this uh, like bulletproof vest that my uh, other friend had left for me in Reno. Uh, so that was, that was, that was the worst complication, I guess, besides being one man down and, uh, having to shoot the thing solo, which I've done plenty of times. So that was no issue. Um, so that was, that was a funny little, uh, little life lesson. Um, and then once I got to Ukraine, it was just a matter of like talking to as many people as I could. And, uh, I was surprised to find out just like how many people were willing to help me, technically be like part of the documentary crew. Like I was working with a translator and producer slash fixer for a while. And, um, she was, uh, I mean, I'm still, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, pay her money. And, uh, but she was intent on, on working her working for free. Um, which is like pretty, pretty insane to me. Uh, but I just like, I was met with help pretty much wherever I went, um, which was really, that was good you know it was it was really really daunting that bus ride um from germany into into poland and ukraine i I just had no idea what was what was in store because oh i've never really been to a war zone don't really have a background in uh war journalism i think the extent of my experience with humanitarian crises like that was filming at a refugee camp community center in greece uh so this was like a whole new ball game yeah do you mind like going into more detail and talking us kind of through that experience and what you saw on the ground what it was like getting into the country obviously we see stuff here on the news and you know at this point i think a lot of people don't trust the news and don't know if what they're seeing is real and and what's going on in the world because of just a lot of the sensationalization of aspects of things that are going on in the world is i think at this point a lot of people don't trust a lot of things so can you just take us through your experience on the ground in ukraine yeah yeah absolutely um i mean i entered in lviv which is uh the westernmost city in ukraine and it was i mean i spent 30 days there and from like the sound of the first uh missile siren in lviv on like the second day to the last days in Kharkiv, which was like the easternmost city in Ukraine, um, basically on the front lines, or like 30 or 40 kilometers behind the front line, uh, that was being shelled and bombed like every, I mean, you would hear explosions like every 30 minutes. Um, That was a really surprising and yeah, it's a surprising process to go for, to like look back on being afraid of like missile sirens in Lviv, which didn't get hit once, to just like hearing constant explosions 30 days later. But also understanding that a lot of the people that I had met and talked to, become friends with, they all uh, have done things like far, far, far more uh, brave, like directly in, you know, a line of fire or experiencing um, actual bombs dropping on them. So it's, yeah, the whole experience was like this. I mean, I'm not trying to trivialize it by calling it a video game, but it's like when you're playing Skyrim or something and you fight that first big spider in your level two and you're fighting the spider and you're like, holy shit, this thing is so, uh, this thing is strong and it's scary but then you come back like uh, maybe an hour or two later and you're like, wow, this is a joke. But the next boss, or the next, you know, the next creature, that thing is, is so much more difficult until you do it. Um, 
And so I guess I'd never experienced such a, um, real life equivalent of, um, facing fear and then like looking at the thing that you're afraid of, you know, a week ago and thinking, wow, like that was, that was a massive difference. Um, and then as far as what it's actually like on the ground, I mean, to be honest, like mainstream news is, it's problematic and there is a lot of, uh, sensationalizing when it comes to like the aim, you know, the specific aims of CNN or Fox, MSNBC, whatever. But I think a lot of people, and this is not the fault of the people either. Uh, I'll I'll explain a little bit the the reason or the uh, why this is happening. But I think a lot of people just completely discount um, mainstream news to the point where um, alternative news sources are like, sometimes wholeheartedly embrace and then we get some really bad, really bad information, um, false information in the system. Uh, for example, like the, the war in Ukraine being fake. Uh, I mean, I can pretty confidently say that it's definitely not fake. And I think anybody that just visited the country, uh, would, would realize that pretty quickly. And for me, I mean, it's, I've always been the kind of guy that's that's said, I'm not really going to believe what somebody is telling me unless they have direct experience with it. And I guess that was the original reason why I decided to go to Ukraine is because friends, some people I was working with, um, everyone had their theories about Ukraine. And it just, it started to get really annoying and, or more than annoying. Like, uh, it was... It was like offending. It was, uh, it just felt gross to me because I knew that there were people dying, like regardless of who was behind what. And I guess I was really, I got really tired of just hearing chatter about who was behind it. Is it real? You know, it's just all theories while like actual humans are, are suffering and dying. So I couldn't, couldn't take that anymore. And so I decided to, to, to go. And then the next day I was presented with this, uh, incredibly synchronous opportunity to uh, have a, a, an organization uh, first contact um, on the ground in Ukraine. And the things I saw there were, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's not what I was expecting. Uh, you go to like a war torn country and you expect to see just horror and devastation and sure, like all of that was there, but it's kind of, you kind of forget about it. Like even being in Kharkiv, you know, where 95% of the city is destroyed. Like it's been destroyed, uh, more destruction in that city than any other city in world war two to put it into context. And I would find myself forgetting that, like, you know, we were being bombed, uh, multiple times a day or that, uh, most of the residents are gone. Some don't have power and water. Because like you just focus on on the good people that you're meeting and the jokes that people are telling and uh, like simple simple joys like uh, someone at this humanitarian group made crepes and they were absolutely delicious. Yeah, I guess that was a bit rambly, but I think that encapsulates or it gives a general overview of most of my experiences there. It's interesting, and I don't know if the audience will ever relate to it unless they've traveled to a place that is stigmatized as dangerous. 
and I've experienced not a war-torn country, but places that are stigmatized as, as dangerous. And like you, I have to go see for myself. And uh, like you said, on the ground in these places, you encounter, even if a place like you were in in Ukraine is in such turmoil and literally at war, uh, you, as a human, and I think it's a characteristic of us, we focus on the moment and what is beautiful in that moment, even when there is so much devastation, destruction, and death around us. And I think that relationship and that perspective is so hard to convey to the individual listeners, even though we're trying. It's something that you'll never understand until you're on the ground in a place like this and everything you expect to be isn't necessarily what you expected. Would you say that's true for you? Yeah, completely. I mean, there's, I don't feel like a very articulate person, especially when it comes to this experience, because there's like so many, so many emotions to, or so many like complicated ideas and, and people and experiences that it's just impossible to put into words. But yeah, I mean, like my expectations were like shattered from, from day one, you know, like, yeah, I mean, but I, I've, I've had this experience of shattered expectations every before every like big adventure before the cycling trip before the sailing trip before doing the van thing um like you always have a, an idea or like a movie in your head of how you think something is going to be and it's just by design always going to be different and which can be like really disappointing or like that can be a shock you know that that your experience is so much different than than you thought it was going to be but I guess I've really tried to, uh, yeah, just to, like embrace, embrace that feeling of like, hey, this is not, this is not going to go the way that you think it's going to. It is interesting with your background as a, a creator of movies, um, and that emotional connection we all have to what's on the screen because we amplify the emotions through the music and the cinematography and the time in which we place certain images in compared to all the relationships with everything else. And then in the settings of like a real life experience that you have only seen on the screen, as you just noted, like it doesn't necessarily correlate with the connections that you made from watching the screen. And you have this dissonance inside, which I've experienced as well. Um, you know, the, the fear that you had going into this and, and you facing that fear is something that we all encountered in any kind of experience, really, that is unknown and uncalculatable with the outcome. Can you talk a little bit about like how you deal with fear internally and, and then how you face it and, and, and move through it? Because I think a lot of people can benefit from just knowing how you personally get through fear. Yeah. Um, I just ignore it. <laughs> I just, I, I just like, I'm just like, okay, that's there. Um, and I just try to imagine my life on a set of railroad tracks that no matter how scared I am, I'm just gonna, you know, it's just going to keep on rolling. So just, uh, just live, live next to that fear. And that's always been a, a really good policy. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you can tell if something is a really stupid decision that will uh, get you, I guess, unnecessarily killed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I just I just learned how to live with um, 
being scared or being a little scared all the time or just like i mean in the case of ukraine it was really other people's i wouldn't say their fearlessness because i'm sure they still felt it or were ignoring it but it was like seeing other people around me uh ignore the fact that you know they could die uh, because they had work to do and that really helped so i mean being with a group of people if you're scared of doing something it's always easier if you're if you're with friends like say you're going to go on a big cycling trip um i think it's a lot easier to to tackle a big mountain if you're with other people to encourage you rather than by yourself uh but then if you are solo i think it's just like having a policy of just just doing the thing like who cares how scared or unprepared or inefficient or unworthy you feel of of doing the thing uh just do it anyway and yeah and you'll find success yeah will you though i mean not everyone does find success and maybe the the expected type of success that they were hoping to achieve but i think i'll argue that you will find something i've definitely yeah, set goals and faced fears <laughs> and the outcome was not at all what i thought but i found something along the way yeah what was the uh what was the biggest goal that you set and uh did not accomplish in the way you thought it would uh oh man it's countless but the big one that came to mind immediately when you asked was setting a goal at 17 years old to become a professional soccer player and play in the 2006 world cup okay and i made it a very long way in fact i made it all the way to europe and made it to belgium for a trial at a couple professionals professional teams but now didn't make it any of the teams and just kind of hung up my boots so in hindsight the experience was rich and full of so many, so many ups and downs. Uh, and the outcome itself was not what I had hoped and expected. I mean, that was a pre- I, I can't say I expected that I would achieve that, but I did have high hopes and a lot of drive. And then once that expectation wasn't met, I can't say I was let down by it because of the gargantuan effort I had put into getting to where I did get in that limited amount of time. But um, it was what I realized was it was the path as not to sound cliche, but that was the richness and the experience that was of value. The end result, whether I achieved it or not, was nothing, essentially. You yeah. Know? Yeah, totally true. I mean, because even if you had gotten to, uh, you said the World Cup? Yeah. Yeah. If Once you had gotten there, like there's, there's always the next mountain. Exactly. And so speaking of mountains, you know, and the the one you just climbed in Ukraine, do you have another one in mind? Because that's a big one, dude. Uh, (laughs) I mean, like wandering into a war-torn country with a camera. Yeah. You know, there's that's a pinnacle for a lot of people within the cinematic realm, if you will, of documentary. Right. What's next for you? Uh. I guess the scarier mountain is is the uh, massive amount of credit card debt that I that I piled up. But I mean, you know, that's always worked out. Uh, it's going back to Ukraine, and hopefully, when I return in December, the war's over. But if it's not, then I'm kind of like throwing myself back into uh, into that situation. And I mean, there there were many levels in in Ukraine that I did not cross. You know, like I didn't go to the trenches and film on the front lines. 
I mean, the focus of my documentary didn't really warrant that, nor did like the, the subjects. But if there is a, a specific person that I'm following around for the documentary and they're going to the front line, then, you know, I'm going to. But yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the that's the mountain. I, I saw things in Ukraine that I've been searching for um, throughout the whole world. And I really see it as uh, the center or at least one of the centers uh, of, you know, this blossoming into into uh, a new earth uh, because the, the old one seems to be uh, crumbling pretty quickly. You know, our systems are are failing left and right. And I saw a lot of really hopeful and inspiring things in Ukraine, which I guess a lot of people wouldn't. You're not going to catch that on CNN. So like that's that's the biggest downfall of of like mainstream news. Uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier, is it's such a limited scope of like what what it's actually like. You know, like you see the worst of the worst, you see all the destruction, and you're like, oh man, that's horrible. But that's so huge. Like, what can I do? Like, I'm I'm one person. Maybe I'll donate five bucks. But it it, it feels totally different you know, seeing mainstream news articles or videos about Ukraine and then actually going there. You're like, wow, this is an incredibly beautiful country filled with the smartest, most talented, kind, loyal, and caring people that I've ever met. And a lot of them are dying, uh, but we're still connecting and having fun and, and, and sharing laughs and joy. And, uh, I think those are the complicated feelings or stories that you don't get with most journalism. And that's sort of the focus of, that is the focus of the documentary. That's an interesting statement you made earlier, which was, you know, the world's crumbling around us yet. I found the most hope in Ukraine, you know, in beauty. And do you think you would have found that if it wasn't contrasted with so much death and devastation? I think the war was like the catalyst for, I mean, what you're seeing is, and uh, before hearing this word, just understand that it comes loaded with a lot of baggage or like preconceived notions, but like you're seeing the pure definition of anarchy in Ukraine and anarchy is usually used as a term you imagine like burning uh, shop fronts and, and tip tanks and, you know, spray painted, uh, a's with circles around them uh, but like the pure definition of anarchy is just like self-organized horizontal communities or systems or people all working together to achieve um you know what what they need to survive and in ukraine you would see or what happened as soon as the war started is a lot of the government uh, local government officials state government officials whatever um just tons of people in the government that were supposed to be taking care of the citizens either left they were like uh embedded saboteurs right on the side of russia because russia has had um tons and tons of influence and infiltration into the country so you're seeing a lot of local governments fail at even just like evacuating the elderly from frontline zones I mean, something as simple as that, you would imagine like, yeah, like, no, that's, that's like one of the first things that you do, get the women, children and elderly out. Uh, but the government, I'm using air quotes here, 
was so non-existent that um, everyday Ukrainians just had to do it. And so it's everyday citizens, you know, artists, actors, engineers, software developers, teachers, every kind of role that you can imagine in society, in a, in a really uh, peaceful and civilized society. These people are the ones fighting uh, on the front lines or the ones bringing food to the soldiers on the front lines. They're the ones running supplies. They are delivering armored vehicles and military equipment to the front line because of uh, governmental mismanagement or rather just like people, middlemen that would steal 90% of supplies coming in from outside of the country to sell it to other countries or whatever. And so most of that wouldn't, wouldn't ever reach the front lines. And so now it's just regular, regular citizens, you know, like mothers who are teaching their, their daughter how to figure skate. Uh, just last month, she's the one bringing, uh, you know, the 128th battalion, uh, armored ballistic plates. So you're seeing just this massive self-organization and unification of all, all roles in society, like all ideas, religions. And then you're seeing all of the foreign volunteers come in too, foreign soldiers or ex-soldiers that are selling their houses, cars, everything they have, and being willing to sacrifice their lives on the front line for people that don't even speak their language. I mean, it's just, it's been like the biggest show of unified humanity that I've ever seen in the world. And it sounds like it's powerful enough to take you back in December to what shoot another documentary. Yeah, that's undecided. Uh, if it's going to be part of the first or added to what I filmed in the first one, but, um, yeah, it's, we'll just say it's going to, it's, it's all part of the same documentary. Uh, 30 days was a really, uh, naive amount of time to think that I could um, tell a story as big as I want to in in that short of a period. And so I'll be going back in December and then probably going back to Ukraine for at least five years to, yeah, to like just dedicate myself to, to a place. And Ukraine was one of the last places I expected uh, to ever do that. But uh, it feels right. And I think the things I've seen over there it's, you know, like I, I feel guilty uh, even being on this cycling trip and not being over there, continuing to like document the history that's happening there. But I, uh, I made these plans with my with my best friends a year ago, so I couldn't really skip out on that. Troy, would you say you found your purpose now in life with this documentary of Ukraine for now? I mean, the, the purpose that you're living for at this point for the next five years is to tell the story of Ukraine and its people? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's been, um, I've been searching for like a really serious, uh, dedicated topic for, for a while. So yeah, I, I, I would say yes, yes to that answer. I mean, I've always felt a purpose in my life, but this is, you know, this feels like a much, yeah, a much higher purpose. What was your original purpose or the thing that you felt your whole life? Um, I mean, the, the original purpose was just to live life as fully as I could document it, you know, 
start a successful channel. And I had quite a few other goals. You know, I'm, I'm still in the middle of like writing a young adult novel. Uh, still have plans to, to continue sword fighting uh, or, or doing a, a stage combat or like a combat for film. Uh, and so all of these were like things I'm still very passionate about and was doing every day, but I, I don't think I've had a goal that's made me be willing to stop everything else for it. Yeah, I can relate to your original and then coming to a place where something is so powerful that it draws you there knowing that you'll commit at least five years to it. I've had friends on the podcast who, prior to them ever finding Ukraine, have now found something similar as you within Ukraine. Johnny FD actually bought you know, a place there right before the war started and has dedicated pretty much his whole life to you know, telling the story as well. Wow. I, th I think it's really powerful, man. And I think, you know, your story really helps me and gives me perspective on things that I've known and things that I've forgotten. And hopefully the listeners out there, you know, can find something as well within your story. So if they want to learn more about you and what you're doing, what's the best place for them to do that? Yeah. Uh, YouTube.com slash earth story is where I'll post uh, most of my videos and then the trailer for the documentary will also go on there i'd say that and then instagram at our earth story uh that's the best place to get day-to-day -day updates and that should cover it nice man what if you could talk to one person would you tell them to inspire them to think about their life situation and if they're unhappy with it move towards something they are happy with can you give us some parting wise words yeah, yeah. And if you've got a bit more time, I do. So I, I can tell a story of how I uh, sort of got started uh, with all of this. By all means. Yeah, um, which I think uh, can be inspiring. So, I mean, for mo most of my life, I grew up in Vegas with very conservative Christian parents who never exactly let me out of the house. Um, I was also like an extreme introvert and would spend happily uh, weeks at a time in my room, just watching movies, reading Lord of the Rings is still, uh, the biggest driving force, uh, inspiration in my life. Uh, but I had basically never traveled until 24. And after watching Anthony Bourdain's parts unknown, I decided to step out into the world, took my first solo trip to New York city. And I was just, I was afraid to leave the hotel. Like I thought I'd be mugged, um, if I was out at any time after like 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. And what I was talking about, like the levels of fear, looking back, you know, a week in Ukraine, thinking, wow, I, I was afraid of that. And now I'm at this point, it's really, really crazy to look back to where I was when I first started traveling at 24, where I was like afraid to walk down the streets of New York City because I thought I'd be uh, mugged. And to see where things have come now. And so I think even if you have like really, really massive goals, like you want to sail around the world or cycle around the world, whatever it is, I think that's, that's valid. And that's, that's amazing to have a goal like that. But if it's too daunting, uh, then I think you can rest easy in knowing that all it takes is challenging yourself a little bit day by day 
And if you can keep pushing that comfort zone little by little by little by little in five years, uh, in 10 years or 20, I think you'll have gone way farther than you could ever imagine, at least in my experience, because I think if 24 year old me were to look at me now, could be like, holy shit, who is this person? And yeah, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be believable. So little steps, I think little steps is, yeah, that's the, that's the secret to, to accomplishing any, any big, big challenge. I totally agree, Troy. One more quick question before we leave. What is the significance of Earth Story 2030, the actual date 2030? Yeah, so 2030, according to most climate scientists, is the day that we enter a, peer, um, a tipping point of no return as far as uh, the climate crises go. Crises too. It's like it's it's dozens or hundreds of them, and you're already starting to see um, a lot of them, you know, intermingle with each other and start chain reactions. Um, so 2030 is is supposedly the year that uh, the world ends as we know it. So I chose that because it's always been a goal of Earth Story to travel as far and as much as I can. And let's weave together a story of, of the entire planet. Like not probably not everything going on. That would be a little difficult, but to create a, uh, a consistent narrative or like a consistent story telling of the, uh, uh, the bravery and, and, and the efforts of uh, the wonderful creatures known as human beings. I think that's rad, man. And, if we can support in any way, I don't know if you started GoFundMe or however you need to get back to Ukraine, you know, please just always shoot me a link and I'll post it for you in within my uh, social media channels because I think what you're doing is really powerful and it needs to be supported. Awesome, Chapin. That's, that's so generous of you. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Absolutely, Trey. You have a good day. Thank you. Hey, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for the uh, the invite. Awesome, Troy. Thank you so much for that. You really brought to light some really unique perspectives that I think some people might have trouble relating to because they've never gone through experiences like you've just gone through. But for any traveler out there who's found themselves in situations where they didn't expect to find kindness and beauty, you can relate as I can. The world is a big, beautiful, magical place and you typically find things that you don't expect to find in places that have a stigma behind them or people's preconceived notions that when you get there and they're not met, everything takes a more beautiful hue because of the extreme anticipation, maybe that extreme fear that was occurring inside you before arrival and then landing and finding out that everything you feared is just not true. So in a quick summary of his episode, I think it's really important to look within ourselves and ask how we approach fear. What are we doing to face our fears? Are we taking action or are we just in a preparation mode, this perpetual preparation mode where we just are always preparing to take that first trip or preparing to quit our job, but never really taking action? That's something that struck me of recent in this book that I'm reading, Atomic Habits, where I think I procrastinate a lot by always trying to prepare when I need to start taking more actions. Even if I'm unprepared, it's better just to go for it and see what happens. You'll learn along the way. 
But I'm still in awe about what he said, where he stated that he has hope for the future based on what he saw and encountered in Ukraine. And again, that contrast in my mind is something that is ping-ponging back and forth. I'm searching for relatable experiences I've had. I definitely have some. I encourage you to think about experiences that you can relate to from that statement where you found hope, motivation, and maybe even enthusiasm about an unknown future in situations where most people perceive as completely desperate, where not a single shred of hope could ever exist. So thank you for listening, folks. I do appreciate you. I love you all. I think you all are so very beautiful. Please remember to subscribe. Leaving a comment or review is always appreciated. Supporting Misfits and Rejects can be done in two ways. Buying shirts at MisfitsandRejects.com or heading over to Patreon.com, searching Misfits and Rejects and giving a monthly donation. It is a reoccurring thing, but you could give one donation once and then just cancel. That helps as well. A little way to keep this podcast alive for a little bit longer. I appreciate you and I'll see you soon. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.